Next Generation Innovators is recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of this land, and we pay our respects to the elders, past, present and emerging. Hello, I'm Brooke Boney, your host for Next Generation Innovators, a future women podcast in partnership with the Department of Industry, Science, Energy and Resources Entrepreneurs Program. Each week we tap into the stories behind some of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs and how they've scaled their ideas into global businesses. I'm joined for another episode by my co-host and resident serial startup junkie, Alicia Stevenson. Hi, Brooke. Great to be here again, especially with our guest today, Anna. Yes, absolutely. In 2009, Anna Ross founded Kester Black, a leading manicure and skincare brand built on beautiful design and uncompromising ethical values. Kester Black offers consumers sustainable, vegan and cruelty-free beauty products. Today, she joins us all the way from beautiful New Zealand. Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So, Anna, tell us, why nail polish? I think everybody's hoping for a really inspirational answer, but it just happened. So Kester Black started as a jewellery label and after about three or four years of working with sterling silver, I grew bored of working with one colour. So I had read an article that said that you could colour sterling silver by using enamel paint and I went ahead and did that or tried to do that. It was really a big disaster. But in that process, I came up with the idea of making nail polish to match the jewellery that we were producing. So that's really where the idea came from. It was it was thought up as an upsell to our products. So if you buy a $200 ring, then we could make an extra $20 revenue by this add-on product at the cart. And although the jewellery colouring didn't work, we decided to stick with the nail polish colours. And we started with six. And within three months of um, launching the nail polishes, we tripled the business revenue. That is phenomenal. And so the the early vision for Kester Black was a jewellery company with, you know, selling nail polish on the side. So if that if that was the early vision back in 2009, I mean, obviously, you know, for listeners, let's give them a bit of a sense of what it's turned into today from its early start as a jewellery company to what it is today. How have the visions compared to one another? Ah, well, I just didn't think that I would be here. So it's like everybody talks about how great it is that we pivoted, but really I didn't. And there wasn't really much strategy behind it. We just changed as the customers um, demanded the change, really. So now we have over 60 shades. Last year, we just launched our lipstick range. So we are going down the path of becoming a fully fledged beauty brand And I have been working in the background on a bit of skincare as well. So we've got four staff in-house and then we have a team of about six to eight people outside that help us. And we outsource quite a lot of our pack and sending and bookkeeping and all those sorts of things that we don't necessarily need to do in-house. So it's grown a lot and four staff doesn't sound like much, but man, you can achieve a lot with a really small team. And of course, we all work remote now as Fergus and I have just moved back to New Zealand and the rest of the team is in Australia. And then we have another warehouse in Europe in the Netherlands and we have one in Australia and now we have one in New Zealand. So from our crappy little six nail polish colours at the very start... <laughs> 
it's changed so much. That's really fascinating that you and your partner, uh, your life partner, not your business partner. Uh, both. Have... He's both. Is he both? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Okay, so how is the company going with obviously its founder and chief and the guiding light being in a, in a different country to your other four staff? And also at what point did Fergus come on as a business partner and how's it all going? It's going fine because we really tried to establish the business from the start to do this. Somebody said to me, always run your business the way that you intend to run it. Like don't make them nail polish yourself, for example. So we got the manufacturer and we outsourced as much as we could. So uh, we've been trying to work towards this for a long time and COVID really just pushed us to make it happen. We had been working remote. The team would still get together once or twice a week, but the other days we're all working from home. So the hardest part about it is working across multiple time zones because New Zealand and Australia are two hours difference. And then we have to work with the Netherlands and our manufacturers are in France and Italy and Australia as well. And then we work with London. So it's trying to get our head around. <laughs> that would make me what tapped time? out, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Australia, uh, sorry, New Zealand and London do that horrible 12-hour delay. Yeah. So, you know, if it's 9 a.m. in the morning there, it's 9 p.m. at night here. So we do a lot of late nights. We, we have a really sort of funny work schedule. Um, so it's actually just quite hard to keep everybody in Australia and New Zealand, it's fine. Keep everybody connected. But sometimes we're just so tired. We can't be bothered getting on the phone at nine o'clock at night to like hustle our manufacturers to deliver something on time, you know. So that yeah. that is a little bit, it's tiring, but it's fine. We can work it out. Hopefully with COVID, though, we're allowed to make it back because we specifically chose our manufacturers in France and Italy so that we could go there twice a year to visit them and claim <laughs> it as a work expense. <laughs> So, Anna, when did you know Kester Black was going to be a success? <laughs> I think as an entrepreneur, you start something because you know that it has the potential to work. I've always known in my soul, really, that Kester Black would be a success, even though we've had a lot of ups and a lot of downs. That The answer to that question is you never really know. You just, you think you know that it will work, but with everything that happens and with COVID as a great example, I thought this will make or break this business. But luckily for us, we're still increasing our revenue and profitability. So I think maybe even today is when I can actually say to you, I think it's going to work. It's going to be a success. <laughs> Anna, you've pretty much bootstrapped this from the very beginning. How much of it did you do on your own in the early days? Everything everything. I probably worked alone in the business for about a year and a half to two years before I actually brought anybody else in. So I studied fashion and what we learned there was how to take something from nothing, a drawing essentially, and turn it into a 3D object. And that was with like costings and design and photography and sales. So I took those skills that I learned at uni because of course Kester Black was a jewellery label when it started. So I went into a store that sold jewellery goods and said, I want to make a jewellery label. How do I do that? They taught me how to do that. And then I took the skills that I'd learned from uni, which was making a lookbook, working out costings and sending an email off to people. So it really just was me. It just started as a hobby. I did everything. And of course, when it comes to beauty, PR and the visual side of it is is really everything. What's been your approach here and, and how did you know that that was going to be such an important part of your business? 
it was really just gut feel. So we didn't have money to market. We didn't have money to spend on Facebook ads and I didn't really understand the value of it all back then. So I just had to do what I could. And I had a creative background and I have a creative eye and I really was inspired by colors and interiors and all those sorts of things. So it really started with an Instagram page. And then I was on all of the photo shoots and was also doing all of the creative direction or working with stylists to make sure that it was all on brand and consistent. So when we would launch a new product, we would just do a photo shoot and then we milked those photos. When I was at uni, we were taught to always approach stores before the fashion buying season. And I just took that fashion sales approach and put it into jewellery and nail polish. So every time we launched something, we wrote a press release and we sent it to media and we made really great relationships with all of the magazine editors. So every time we released something, they would essentially write about it. And in return, they really liked writing about us because we provided them with all this beautiful imagery, which could work in their magazines. And also we had a point of difference. So actually back when we started, it was a really fresh approach. And every time they were looking for a sustainable beauty brand or green beauty or Australian made, they would come to us. So we were pretty much given free opportunity and were supported by the media until we could make enough money to actually pay for marketing. If you haven't seen it, you need to go and have a look at Kester Black's Instagram account. It's colourful, it's stunning. What does the social media strategy and the execution look like now for social media? We've just sort of redone it at the start of the year, but there's a lot more of a focus on paid spend. So we do a lot of ads and we put them through Facebook and we've seen the most success with that platform. And then we do the organic, but we've had a bit of trouble trying to, for me, find the time to actually do stories and do all of the engagement pieces on social. So we have just hired a content creator who is a total unicorn, I can't believe. I knew it would be a great time to hire during COVID, but my gosh, (laughs) we've got 10 incredible applications and normally we'd be scraping the barrel to even just get one. So we hired somebody who um, is a photographer, a videographer, a director, um, somebody with a marketing background, all in the one person, a graphic designer, they're everybody. He's essentially like the new head of creative for Kester Black, which I'm really excited about. It's so important that social, like taking it from where we started, we only got into the stores that we're in now, you know, like Liberty, London. We got into all of the big department stores through Instagram. We're actually in um, Dover Street Market in Paris. And they all found us on Instagram. So even though you can't quantify the sales coming from that, you really have to just think about it as an investment. And every time I make a really expensive photo that we can't even measure sales from, I just think of it, it's an investment. And especially as an investment, if we were to ever sell the company, the fact that we own all of our own IP, we own all of our photos that is an asset that somebody would be interested in buying. Mm, absolutely. It's also the same excuse that I use um, whenever I buy something that I can't afford. So I appreciate that sentiment <laughs> more than you could possibly know. Exactly. <laughs> there are so many different components that you need to master when you are starting a business like Kester Black. You know, you've got branding, marketing, packaging, manufacturing, distribution. Is there one part of the business that you love working on the most and which part of that process has thrown you the most challenges? 
the part that I love the most that I didn't know anything about when I started is the bookkeeping. So I knew that you could outsource your bookkeeping, but I couldn't understand how anybody would actually grasp their business if they weren't looking at the numbers every day. So I called a bookkeeper and I said, I don't really want you to do my books. I just want you to teach me how to do them. And she did. And she also helped me every time I didn't know how to do something, but I've got a real handle on the finances. And there's there's something really special about waking up in the morning and reconciling your books. <laughs> as, it's as special as going to a photo shoot or developing new colors or meeting manufacturers. I get a lot of joy out of admin tasks as well as the creative, like I'm a totally balanced kind of person. So I actually really enjoy that surprisingly. And the thing that's thrown me the most challenges is definitely the logistics. It's such a complex aspect of the business. And I was talking to a friend of mine who has a business and they sell hair pieces and their average order size is about $380 for one piece. So they can make huge revenue and huge profit, but only sell a few items a month compared to us where we have to sell thousands and thousands and thousands of units a month to be able to even compare on the same sort of revenue income stream. So if you think about little old Kester Black and its revenue to get to say that $10 million revenue, we have to sell a lot of $20 items. So the logistics part of my business is so complex. It's sort of been really surprising. The first massive hurdle that we had was back when we started, I was sending everything through Australia Post and one day I got a parcel back and it had just smashed, like the whole lot had smashed. And it was a big wholesale order, so there was quite a lot of nail polish in there. And there was a note on it saying, this needs to be sent as a DG. I thought, what is what is that? So I Googled it, and it's a dangerous goods. And I didn't know what a dangerous goods was, but nail polish was one of them. <laughs> so I had been sending nail polish illegally through the post <laughs> for a year and a half to two years, and I realized I had to get a license. So I um, Googled how to get a license and signed up to an online course. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, to be honest. Harder than my degree, I had to learn how to ship every single product that falls under DG, which is like explosives, batteries, gas canisters, um, biohazards, radioactive materials. It took me seven months and then I ended up having to get somebody to help me to pass the exam anyway. Um, and from there, it's been so complex to try and scale into export markets because apart from the fact it's really expensive to ship DGs, every single warehouse that you store your stuff with has to be DG licensed and know how to store it as well. So the movement of products is really difficult. And a really good example of the kind of cost that you're dealing with when you have a DG. So just a hot tip for anybody else starting a business, don't do any DGs. Um, we were sending our nail polishes, a $120 nail polish from Melbourne to where I live now, say in Wanaka. It's about $67 with D DHL. $120 nail polish costs $67 to send. So there was this extreme complexity that I didn't think through because I didn't know what a DG was when I started my business, which we've had to overcome. And we seem to be overcoming something every month with it. With so many different things happening, and I think I think the complexities and the depth 
to scaling um, Kester Black and to scaling nail polishes is sort of what we're delving into at the moment. Uh, Just how many things need to be considered. What does a typical day look like for you? Wake it up and meditate for an hour (laughs) and then have a shower and Fergus will make coffee. And then we just sit down and do pretty much everything we do is on computers. So I go through all my emails and sort them all out. And then I have big tasks to do. And those big tasks might be one really big one that I've been working on recently is international label compliance, (laughs) which is a real treat. So you have to liaise with your manufacturers, get these 120 page documents on how to make the product, all of the different aspects of every single ingredient, whether that ingredient is vegan, not vegan, and then compile all of that and send it back to our responsible person who is in London. And then you have to submit all of your labels. So I have to create all of those labels in InDesign and export the PDFs, upload them all into a file and have them review everything. And then they come back, make sure that all of the ingredients are spelt exactly correctly, are in the correct order. There's no claims on our products that can't be substantiated because you can't say Kester Black's nail polish will make your nails look 10 years younger without actually having run medical trials on that. So it's a big job and it's taken me about three months and every day I have to just get in there and chip away at it. So pretty much what I do is emails, spreadsheets and colour editing photos really. That's so interesting yeah. to hear that that's um, such a massive a, a massive part of it. And, you know, you see, see people making claims and stuff like that all the time. So it's interesting to hear the process that you've been through. How has COVID impacted your business? I know a lot of people have been buying uh, a lot of beauty products. I'm not just talking about myself, by the way. Well, it's an interesting question because last year we decided that we needed to get investment and one of the slides on my investment doc uh, was how Kester Black was a recession-proof business (laughs) because there is this lipstick effect and what happens in a recession is people stop buying luxury goods, they stop buying handbags and shoes and fashion and they buy affordable luxuries and usually that affordable luxury is lipstick but it also correlates perfectly to nail polish sales. So nail polish happens to run on a sort of six-year sales cycle as well. And when I started the business, we were at the bottom of the sales cycle. So when I sort of got big enough to be able to approach all of the big department stores, they were going through this mass exodus of getting rid of all of their nail brands because it's the worst performing at that time in all the beauty stores. And then, of course, it hit the bottom and it's up on the rise again. And so Kester Black gets into all of the department stores internationally because they're looking for fresh new brands, something that's interesting to the customer. So that's great for us. And then COVID hits. Our sales skyrocket a thousand percent on last year. (gasps) So while everybody's being at home, we have been working, run off our feet, just trying to get the last bits of our systems established so that we can scale. And we have run into stock supply issues. We sold out of everything pretty much. We're trying to get stock in from Europe and they're delayed because, of course, they're, they're, our bottles are made in Italy and most of our manufacturing is done in France now as well as Australia. So we're backfilling with Australian stock but trying to get our big development stock done through France. It's just been exciting and crazy but also really sad because even though we've seen this huge explosion which proves my Kester Black is a recession-proof business theory, 
I can't enjoy it because all of my friends' businesses are going bankrupt. So I feel like guilty that we're doing so well, actually. Well, you're still servicing a lot of women like Brooke and myself at home who have suddenly <laughs> refined the art of doing our own nails. And, and in fact, <laughs> yeah. like me, have changed my nail colour a lot, a lot more than I normally would. So uh, it's a very important service and there's nothing to feel guilty about. More interesting than that, though, is our lipsticks. We only have six um, lipstick colours. This is how we launched our first six nail shades. And the top two sellers of lipsticks are outselling all of the nail products in the recession in the middle of COVID. So people are buying more lipsticks than they are Mm. top base, um, top or top. All those Zoom meetings that we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so surprised. Well, I wanted to ask too, if we can delve into it a little bit, because we know that Kester Black started jewellery 2009, nail polish 2014, and now lipsticks, aside from them being recession-proof and and there being an obvious business case for that, why lipsticks now? It made the most sense. Like nail polish is, as I said, it runs on like a six-year sales cycle, so there are ups and downs. And it just has historically run like that. So somebody told me about it after I'd started the business and I thought, oh, yeah, that's interesting. It won't apply to us. But (laughs) it was a a really interesting way to diversify our product range so that if we did take a hit on nails and we did get kicked out of any of our department stores, then we still had another product to rely on. Lipsticks and nails seem to go really hand in hand. So when we launched, we did a matching set. You know, the nail polish came the same colour as the lipstick. And then we got a lot of really great feedback from customers around those first six shades. And we chose the first six shades based off market research of what MAC and NARS top selling lipsticks were. So we essentially went, we did all the research on that. We did colors that were really similar to their top sellers and then launched those. And people want more nudes so we're about to launch another four neutral lipstick shades and as i had said we have a lot of issues with this international dangerous goods freight what we've been trying to do is and we will do it over the next two years it was always a slow start with nail polish as it has been with lipsticks just to test the market make sure people love it because people are lipstick loyal you don't just go and try a new brand of lipstick for 50 bucks, you know? It's really expensive product that you want to make sure that you really like before you decide to do the switch. So now we have that credibility. People believe in the product. They know it's really, really, really good quality, high-quality product with nice ingredients. doesn't dry your lips out. And we're about to start trying to develop more and more lipstick shades. So we would really like to do 60 lipstick shades and then scale the nails back down to about 40. And of course, I've been working on other products like eyeliners and blush and bronzer. And so we will go into full color cosmetics, but it would have been a bit of a strange step to go nail polish foundation. People wouldn't have made the connection between the two. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after a message from our partner, the Department of Industry, Science, Energy and Resources. The Entrepreneurs Program can get you from where you are to where you want to be. Our team of independent business experts can help you bring your ideas and innovations to life. We've got the tools and the networks to get you on the way and you may be eligible for funding to make it happen. To find out how the Entrepreneurs Program can help you take your business to the next level, visit business.gov.au forward slash EP or call 13 28 46. 
Future Women is dedicated to helping women connect, learn, and lead. There's a price point to suit all budgets or talk to your company about a corporate training membership to advance your professional development. Just head to futurewomen.com. Welcome back to Next Generation Innovators, where my guest today is Anna Ross from Kester Black. What are the biggest challenges that come with uh, stocking overseas? You mentioned there that, you know, you've just got into Dover Street Market, which is so exciting. Um, but what are the what are the challenges with, with heading abroad? I think it's the having to rely on warehouses overseas. So when we first got our big international customers, we were shipping goods from here to Europe and we only had one warehouse and the freight was really expensive. And then, of course, they get charged customs and duties when it hits um, their border. So our biggest distributor in Germany said, we don't want to buy from you if you're in Australia. You have to be in Europe before we will even contemplate buying from you. So we had to set up an entire warehouse over there. We have to split our stock. And as a small company, when you have cash tied up in stock that you haven't sold, that is money that you can't use. So we have to have stock in Europe. We have to have stock in Australia and we have to have stock in New Zealand. And if we don't get those sales forecasts right, we have to transfer stock. So that is like a total waste of money trying to pay for freight so that you can sell it in another country or having stock in a different country that you can't sell because you don't have access to it. So I think that that's probably the most complex part. And then trusting that warehouse to actually deliver the order correctly. Of course, if you're dealing with department stores, they have full teams. They have a receiving team, they have a sales team, they have a, you know, different teams for everything. So every time we send an order to Liberty or to Dover Street, and it was a bit embarrassing because our first order to just Dover Street was wrong. And then we had to send it two more times for them, for our warehouse to actually send the correct items. And then they sent all of this other stuff that they didn't order. So apart from the fact that it's brand damage, it's really embarrassing. Um, it's just a waste of stock and everybody's time, you know, like if somebody did that to me, I'd be pretty upset with them. So that is the most complex part. You know, if we had a sent it from here, it would have been correct, but we have to rely on other people's systems to try and deliver our stock. Kester Black, at least according to me and everyone that I know, is really regarded in our circles as Australia's most ethical beauty brand. And since I met you all those years ago, you've always really staunchly stood behind the ethics and the social justice mission and parts of the business from the very inception. Why was that sort of so important to you from the beginning? And, and how did that as a thread pull itself through the business from then to now? It wasn't important. It was just common sense. That sounds really strange, but once I got into the business world and having come from New Zealand where everything is about New Zealand made, clean and green, and I grew up on a farm, so I have a real love for animals. So I'd feed the lambs and try and rescue the dying rabbits. Or I just had this real passion for my environment, my surroundings of like living in farmland with rolling green hills and the animals that I was around all the time. So the first question coming from the nail polish manufacturer was, is this supposed to be vegan? You know, do you want it to be vegan? And I was like, oh, I don't really know what vegan is. <laughs> so first I had to look at that. Um, and then I was like, oh, well, why would a nail polish have steak in it? You know, like I couldn't quite make the connection between 
products, food that you eat and their products that you consume. So I did a bit of research around that and lots and lots and lots of cosmetics have animal products in there and they just don't need to be. So my question to that was, yes, it needs to be vegan. And it wasn't really a, it wasn't a marketing play or it wasn't really a belief I wasn't vegan. It just didn't make sense to put animals into nail polish. So that's sort of where it started. And then as we went down, I thought, well, I don't want it to be tested on animals because I knew that that was bad. So we got the no animal testing policy done and we got certified with Cruelty Free Australia. And then I went on a woman's leadership conference and the lady said to me, and we did like a values elicitation and I learned what my values were, my personal values, because I'd never really done it in a formal manner. And she said it would be amazing if you could integrate those personal values, which was honesty, transparency and trust and integrity into your business. So I went away and did that as a little project and because back in the day when we weren't doing any marketing and didn't really have many sales, I had lots of free time to do all these sorts of things. <laughs> so I thought, well, what do customers want? And there was a lot of talk about that back in the day when Chanel and Revlon and all of the big brands, they didn't put any of their ingredients online like they were a secret, which is so strange. And I, we were getting lots of emails from customers saying, what are the ingredients in this? And I was like, this is a waste of my time. Let's just put the ingredients online. So we put it up there for everybody to see. So that was the transparency piece. And then I thought, how can we get people to trust us? Because they can't just take my word for it. So we went down and got the accreditations. And that was really the start of it. And once we got our first accreditation, we got so much press and so many high fives for that, that I thought, oh, we'll just go and get another one. So it really started with just my personal values and trying to translate Kester Black in a way our consumers would trust us. That's the loveliest, most refreshing answer to that um, ethics in business question that we ask female entrepreneurs a lot. You know, why why do this? Because one, it's common sense. And because two, if it doesn't have to be tested on animals and it doesn't have to have animal products in it, why should it? That's, yeah. <laughs> you know, my hat's off to you. That's that, that kind of common sense approach to just doing the right thing really, you know, it really drives home with me. I love that. Nail polish is something that a lot of women and, and young men discover from the older generation or from their parents or, you know, maybe your mum will teach you how to paint your nails. Talking about your customers, who is buying the products? What's your customer base looking like? Is there a generation overlap? Do you have a core audience that you look at? How do you break all that down? It's really interesting. Nail polish seems to be a product for everybody. So my favourite customer is a seven-year-old boy who comes to visit me every year at the big design market. And he and his mum always come up and say hello, and he's allowed to buy three new nail polish colours, but his mum must be buying him buying them for him during the year because he has the whole range. They essentially <laughs> come for the new colours that we're launching. And we have seen a lot of that, which I didn't really expect, but a lot of kids are wearing nail polish because it's a great activity to do with their parents, especially during COVID. And it's so refreshing to see that it's not just considered a girls only product anymore. I've watched a documentary on primary schools in Iceland, how they actually get the girls outside in the sandpit with the trucks and the boys are inside painting their nails, which is really cool. And then the second group of customers that I was most surprised about was women over the age of 60. And I was surprised about that because we were using Facebook and Instagram to gather customer data and consumer insights. And of course, a lot of those women aren't on there. 
So we, we didn't know that we had that customer base until we did a survey and they put in their age because I was really abrupt and saying, how old are you? Not knowing how to write a survey that was <laughs> like. <laughs> so we have all these women who are over 60 who are have been with the brand since the start, which is really, really, really nice. And I'm so glad that we can actually speak to them now because we didn't know they were even our customers. And a lot of the research and product development that we did around the lipsticks was to do with that customer base. So I noticed that on my grandmother, when she wears lipstick, it just bleeds into her wrinkles and it goes all over her face like a spider's web. <laughs> and I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we made a lipstick that just didn't bleed anywhere, but also wasn't drying? So that customer group was actually the main focus of when we were doing the R&D for the lipsticks. And there are a lot of the people who are buying it. The main target group for us, though, is 30 to 36, which seems to be the core customer group. And we have two different um, personalities. One is the people who love the sustainability, vegan, cruelty-free aspects. And the other is just all about fashion. So I like that Kester Black can be an introduction to people who haven't really thought about the ethics of purchasing because they buy it as a fashion product and then they find out that we're vegan and then they find out that we donate a lot of money to charity. So it's a really nice introduction to ethical purchasing. Anna, you've always been very gracious about the steep learning curves you've experienced since you started your business and not knowing at all. What would you say is one of the most surprising things you've learned about business since you've started? I think that you can't really, as a small business owner or as an entrepreneur, separate the business out. So for me, that question is, what have I learned about myself since starting this business? And what I've learned is I have so much grit. There are so many times where I've thought, and I really considered it a couple of years ago before we um, got into any debt, like business is so hard. And you are kidding yourself if you think that you're not going to be working 20 hours a day, weekends for the first 10 years, you know, that, I mean, I always knew that I was hardworking, but I just didn't understand how much resilience I had. And there have been things that have really thrown me and many, many, many nights crying on my bed saying, why did I even do this? But in the end, it really is just a passion for creating something new and doing something different and living life by my own rules. So that's actually really surprised me because if I had have known at the start what challenges I would face doing this, I probably wouldn't have started. That's a beautiful kind of takeaway, I think, for most people is that people tend to glorify or to underrepresent exactly what a business will dig deep into your soul and rip out of you to present mm-hmm. into the world. <laughs> Anna, what is next for Kester Black? Kester Black is doing so well at the moment. So it's given us the cash flow to be able to do a whole lot more new product development. So we are going to continue to launch Color Cosmetics. We um, have, have, we've got contracts in place with some really exciting retailers, which I can't talk about, but you will know who they are. And I can't wait until that actually gets off the ground. And then as a little passion project for the last couple of years, I've been learning a lot about skincare and reading a lot of skincare ingredient labels. And somewhere down the track, I would really love to do something in the skincare um, space. 
So that's just a little side project that I've got going. And we've got a really great group of suppliers now. And we have a, a really fantastic team working to bring it all together to keep pushing us forward. And I'm always open to the opportunity of somebody bigger helping us out. I have said no to investment and we have managed to do it with no investment to date. But as we grow bigger, I feel like I would like somebody's assistance to actually really take it global and in a serious way so that we can keep teaching other businesses how you can do manufacturing essentially, but in a really ethical, positive, environmental way. What has been the best business advice you've ever received and who gave it to you? There's so much advice, but the best piece of advice that I've been given recently is don't listen to anybody. <laughs> it's completely <laughs> counterintuitive. <laughs> I guess I was this like really stubborn brat of a child and in my last year of school, I got expelled from school because I just could not listen to anybody. <laughs> and then for all these years, I've been learning how to take criticism and take on advice and listen to other people. And this little piece of advice recently from my meditation teacher, he said, stop listening to other people and just do what you feel is the right thing to do. And it's really changed a lot since I've started doing that. We've really started to see some growth. Everything seems to be working out for the best. Instead of having to live up to other people's idea of success or other people's standards of how I should run my business, just getting back to how I would like to do things has actually been one of the most successful things that I've done of recent. So maybe that is just to stop listening to other people and just go and do it. Stop trying to meet expectations because... Mm. You know, it's hard when you do that and then you go on somebody else's path and it didn't work out well for me. So that's what I've gone back to. That's awesome. Anna, before we finish up, Brooke and I like to do a great takeaway section, which is just a sort of quick, short, sharp piece of advice for all of our beautiful listeners. If someone comes to you and they say, I've got a really cool idea and now I just want to begin or I'm on the way and I've got this cool idea and I want to begin, what's the one piece of advice that you can give them? This is going to be counterintuitive to, or this is going to be the opposite of what I just said of don't listen to anybody. You are a but I have the answer for this. I have worked out <laughs> the answer. So if anybody is wanting to start a business, I would ask them three questions because you can have a lot of great ideas. And my answers for this question used to be just do it. But now the answer to this question is, is the price point affordable? Because if you have a price point for your, if it's a product, for example, is it between $20 and $50? Is it a spend that people don't have to think about and they can just spend? The second thing is, is it a consumable item? Because you don't want to buy the most beautiful pen and then you never have to replace the pen because the pen is so great, right? You need a consumable item. So I think of like who goes to crap toilet paper is one of the best business ideas on the planet. Like it's Certainly a consumable item. Yeah, you can't reuse it. You need it all the time. So it's like a <laughs> subscription service, which is affordable, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the third thing is, and how is it different to what everybody else is doing? So I've learned this through making nail polish. Nail polish is an affordable luxury item. It's a consumable and we are different from the other brands. And I don't know how I came up with this idea, but it's a winner. And if I was ever to do another business again, it would be 
something like nail polish, but not nail polish. And, and it wasn't an idea that I came up with. I'd never worn nail polish before. It wasn't something that I was passionate about. I don't wear makeup or cosmetics. I My mum never taught me how to wear nail polish. So I started the business and then about six or seven months and I thought, oh, I've never had my nails done. Maybe I should go and do that. <laughs> so it just, oh I don't know, we, I fluked it. I fluked it. Don't ask me for advice because I'm just a fluke. <laughs> I All you don't need is one, leave that one for winner. a second. That's right. One winner of an idea in a lifetime and you found yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was incredibly lucky. And, of course, you know, it's not just the idea. It's how you execute on everything after that mm-hmm. point. But I was lucky with the idea. Oh, well, I think we should all go and get a Manny and Petty after that. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining Alicia and I this week with our wonderful guest, Anna Ross. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Anna. Thanks for listening. Next Generation Innovators is a future women podcast made in partnership with the Department of Industry, Science, Energy and Resources Entrepreneurs Program. And it's produced by Fancy Films. Join us again next week and make sure you subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And we'd love it if you could share, rate and review the podcast as it really does help people find us. See you then.